Craig Button, who, in your opinion, are three of the most underrated players in hockey today? Now, this may sound funny because he just signed a massive free agent contract, but I don't think Dougie Hamilton gets nearly the credit he deserves for being a real top-notch real top-notch defenseman. I, I think he's terrific. And, you know, I hear a lot of commentary at times about, oh, Dougie's not that good. Well, I think he is. Mika Zibanejad, up the middle of the ice for the New York Rangers. I think he does so many things in the game that are really, really, really massively impressive. And then the third guy, that's hard to say that he's underrated, but I don't think he gets the love that he deserves. And that's Braden Point with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, you would think after all those goals he scored in the playoffs the last two years that he would maybe have a little bit of notoriety. But I look at the voting at the end of the year, and it doesn't seem that he gets the votes or the love that uh, that I have for him. Fascinating choices. All great players. And I know Islander fans wouldn't disagree with the Braden Point pick, I can tell you that. <laughs> You're listening to Hockey Press Pass, an insider's look at the media presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Craig Button, who won a Stanley Cup as Director of Player Personnel with the Dallas Stars, served as the GM of the Calgary Flames, and now is an analyst on TV, currently with TSN, where he's the Director of Scouting, and the NHL Network. For starters, Craig, can you believe, I know how much you love the game, can you believe that you get paid to talk and watch hockey? No, I, I can't. I mean, I, I was laughing with somebody... Uh, I've been at the uh, Women's World Championships here in Calgary, and uh, I was laughing with somebody the other day, and they said, uh, you know what, like, uh, I haven't worked a day in my life, and, you know, when you can do something you love, it never feels like work, and uh, the people that, I, that I've worked with, the people that uh, you get to engage with on a regular basis, and, you know, the joy of doing something that's a lot of fun. For the, yeah, yeah, yeah for the purposes of the, old. yeah. Even though I'm getting old, it doesn't, that doesn't get old. For the purposes of this podcast, I am so uh, thankful to have you on because I'm fascinated by the angle of the former GM and scout as analysts because that's a, that's a different thing than a former player or even a former coach. You know, how did you get into it? And, and was it hard to make the transition initially? You've been on TV a while now, but was it difficult to make that transition in the beginning? You know, I'll rewind a little bit. And I worked for Bob Clark, you know, the, the Philadelphia Flyers legend with the Minnesota North Stars and Bob Gainey. And so working for those guys and watching how they interacted with the media and how they presented ideas and thoughts and engaged in a back and forth. You know, I, I was always fascinated these two Hall of Fame greats, you know, the way that they were able to offer perspectives and, and the way they listened the different perspectives so you know it was something that you, you know by osmosis uh, I, I was watching I was learning and you know when the opportunity comes and you know as a player you have to retire as a former coach or GM you have to be fired so <laughs> once that occurred you know it was always been an interest of mine to, to offer a perspective on the game and offer some different uh, thoughts uh, from different angles, whether it be in from management, whether it be in player personnel, scouting. Uh, so, you know, for me, having those two gentlemen as uh, as real strong role models and the way they uh, interacted with the media, to me, made it something that uh, not only interested me, but has made it in in incredibly rewarding. 
you say on your Twitter bio, passionate to a fault. And, you, you know, you set the tone in that bio by saying, you know, listen, we all have opinions and we could share them and we can come at it in peace. It is, though, different because, and, you know, listen, Mike Milbury's a friend of mine, did TV, uh, Brian Burke, uh, you know well. It, it's rare for the GMs, and I do wonder because you know it's so easy, unlike a coach, right, who, you know, maybe somebody could say, yeah, but in that game you made that mistake. You have drafts and people can nitpick. You have player personnel moves you can nitpick. You also have a Stanley Cup ring you could always just put in everybody's face. But did it take you a little while, or, and, or maybe does it still continue to be something for you to get used to when you you know you do that great scouting work for TSN, but then somebody I assume inevitably will tweet out, yeah, but you drafted this guy in the fifth round and this year eighteen years ago or something like that. Did you have to get by that? Yeah, you did. And I, I think one of the things again is is that you know you're going to have a body of work, and, and you hope the body of work is uh, is a lot of good and. Um, hopefully some very good and you know you minimize the the, the things that, that that weren't as good but I don't think there's any way that you can hide from it I, I, I think you have to acknowledge it hey, listen you know if, if you go through life and you're not making mistakes you know and, and it's not nobody tries to make a mistake Chris it's one of the things that I you know I've, I've learned you know when a player makes a mistake in a game he's not trying to make a mistake you know people have good intentions and they and they take inputs and you know I think you, you learn from your mistakes but you have to also acknowledge them and uh, you know and, and they're there they're there for everybody to see you, you, you know you, you've worked in the game a long time and you've worked in the media you know certain things that uh, you know didn't turn out as you thought they would <laughs> you know just acknowledge them I, I I've talked to Olympic and national team athletes on both sides of the border over years and I, I was trying to remind them when they were dealing with the media because I've done some media training too with with athletes is just that everybody people make mistakes and and they will like they will you know, understand a mistake if you just acknowledge, hey, I wasn't at my best today. You know, yeah, you know, I wanted to finish first or, you know, I was hopeful hopeful to have a better outing, but I didn't. You know, th just humanizing the whole process and humanizing yourself, I think goes a long ways because, again, if you, if you think you're not going to make mistakes uh, in sports and whether you be coaching, playing, managing, whatever you're involved in, then... Uh, I'll tell you what, you're probably uh, adorned with a plaque in the, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Because you have that level of empathy, uh, Craig, having been in that chair as a GM, as a director of player personnel, as a scout, do you take it, do you, do you find that it's part of your job when you're on these trade deadline shows or draft shows where maybe you might recap a team's draft to even when when something went right or, or the pick didn't work out, to at least, you know, you, do you speak to those GMs so then, then you could tell your audience, okay, well, it didn't work or it did work, but here was the thought behind the move. Exactly. I, you, you just uh, framed it perfectly. You know, when you, you know, you're offering a perspective, right? And, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, you can critique and, and, and provide critical analysis without getting personal. Again, GMs don't try to make mistakes. Players don't try to make mistakes. But if you can offer, hey, you know, he, he, here's the area they were trying to, to address. And, and I can sit down and say, 
well, yeah, I can see where that player fits. I might have preferred somebody else, right? But maybe that player wasn't available. Maybe the price was too high. I, I, I think a lot of times, Chris, you know, there's the idea that things uh, can just happen with a snap of a finger and they're, they're really easy to accomplish. And, and I think by adding a perspective of what goes in to, you know, a, a trade or a transaction or scouting a player, David Conti, the long time, uh, the scout player personnel, I mean, Lou, Lou Lamarillo's right hand uh, man with the uh, New Jersey Devils. He, he, I remember him telling me, he worked with my father, but I remember him telling me, you know, you haven't made it in scouting until you've made a million dollar mistake. And I remember him saying that, and I kind of went, what, what does that mean? And he went through the whole process of starting the scouting, uh, you know, examination of a, pl- of a group of players. And where you get to that point where you realize you made a mistake and you're excited and you want the player, you want to help the player, the player wants to help himself. You know, you're drafting the players that have been the best at the level below them. So, you know, you you can see and you can disagree. I mean, every team looks at a a draft and goes, oh, I would have drafted that guy ahead of that guy. I mean, that's going to go on forever in every sport. But I think just trying to understand that there is a process and trying to give people you know insights into what goes into these types of decisions and doesn't mean that everyone's going to be right it doesn't mean that some are not going to be given uh, a little bit more criticism than others but uh, you know I think that if you're if you're balanced and you're fair and you're never personal that uh, you know everything ends up you know being being acceptable mm-hmm. and and I think that that's personally and, and and collectively you know from the fan and the people that are involved uh, you know making those decisions what about in studio have some fun with me here you know passionate to a fault I know a lot of the people you work with you are liked and I and, and you know it's not a tense atmosphere but you know some of the other people on the shows that you work on might have a very strong opinion it's quick for people like me to be like, what was he thinking? You know, let's use Dougie Hamilton as an example, right? Or like, yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, that's too much for him, right? So, you know, does, do sometimes the arguments continue into commercial or even in the parking lot going home as to, and, and, and is it heated? It's gotta be, well, it had to be at least one point. I'll give you an example. This year at the at the free agent uh, period, you know, Dougie Hamilton, uh, you know, got signed. Mike Johnson and I were doing a, a section of it, and you know, it came to me, and I said, I, I think you know, I, I think the term is great. I think the dollars are great, and I think Dougie Hamilton is great. Well, Jeff O'Neill didn't take the same position. So, and and and, and I would tell you that you know, in the course of uh, the next couple of hours, you know. Jeff was quick to give me a jab here or a jab there about different things, right? You know, and then, and it does go on and, it, and it's good. And trust me, Chris, there'll be a point in time this year where Dougie will make a mistake because I guarantee he'll make one and I'll get a note from Jeff. <laughs> Did you see that mistake? And, and, and so the, pro- and the, problem, with an, the problem with an offensive <laughs> defenseman is that when he makes a mistake, even I notice it. You know, that's one of the things about that position. Those guys get so much heat. You know, you think about the players who, you know, go back to Larry Murphy or even before him, right? right? Because when Larry made a mistake, I noticed it. When the third line guy maybe didn't pick up his forward going to the net, I'm not seeing that. So there's a lot of heat on those guys. Well, there is. And and, and the players that have the puck more often and are, are trying to make plays, 
guess what? They're gonna they're gonna have more turnovers. They're gonna have they're gonna make more mistakes trying to do things. But I, I, I'll share a story with you from Harry Sinden, you know, from the Boston Bruins. And Raymond Bork was a player, believe it or not, that you know got maligned at times for making those obvious mistakes. And I remember Harry saying. He goes, you know what? He goes, Raymond, Raymond Bork, some, you know, two or three times a game, he makes a blunder. At times, the puck ends up in our net. He goes, but you know what? He does 19 or 20 things a game that help us win a lot more games than we lose. He goes, I'm not prepared to try to eliminate the two or three at the, at the expense of having the 19 or 20 things he does every single game. And, and, and I think, again, that's a perspective. Hey, Harry, I mean, Harry, Harry had Bobby Orr. He's had Brad Park. He's had these great defensemen, right? So I think his understanding of that, and, and more importantly, I think, you know, when you're dealing with players and, and you're looking at very talented, skilled players, you know, you also have to encourage them. And I, I think Harry wasn't just telling me something uh, for, for, you know, to just say it. It's what he deeply believed because he, he'd lived it, seen that success is. And, and the other thing Harry added was if you ever want to find a mistake in the game, he goes, there's 500 of them. And it starts with the opening face-off because one team won it and one team lost it. Wow. If a, uh, uh, somebody who's a GM now or was up until a year or two ago, and I'm actually not thinking of anybody in particular, but then he gets the opportunity to do some shifts at NHL Network, a, a GM, scout type, as opposed to a coach or player. Uh, what would be some of the advice that you would give him? Uh, well, the, the number one thing I would say is, is you have experiences uh, that other people don't have. Bring those experiences to the forefront. You know, like, you don't talk about it. I, I, I always tell athletes that are coming into the studio as well, take people to, to the ice. <laughs> you know, GM, take somebody to the front office. Coach, take somebody to the bench. That would that, be the number one because they're doing things that, that very few people have done. And when you're, when you're talking to, to the viewer and the fan, you know, that's something, hey, tell me about something. And, and, and I, that would be number one. Number two, don't take yourself seriously. Be serious without taking yourself seriously. You know, it doesn't matter. You're going to be, you, you've been in the public spotlight. There's going to be criticism that comes with it, right? But the things that you've done, you know what? And, and, and you're going to make a mistake over time. You might say, I think this player is better than that player. You just say, hey, I was wrong about that. Predictions, you know. My dear friend Les Jackson always said, "There's only only two things can happen with a prediction: you can be right or wrong. So when you're wrong, just acknowledge it, like you know, because you know, especially come playoff time, when you're picking a team to win, the fans of the team you picked to win are really happy, and the fans that you didn't pick to win are not happy. And if it turns out that the team that you didn't pick to win, you're going to hear about it. So, you know, just you know, smile, acknowledge it, and, and think. But I, but I would just say. You know, your experiences are real and, and they're genuine. You know, bring those to the forefront and be serious without taking yourself seriously. Great stuff. I'll be coming back with you more on that. When we come back, Craig and I will discuss his time in hockey and some of his experiences along the way and what make other GMs so successful.
Hey everybody, it's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think of the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media, like the people we spotlight each week on press pass. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with, so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey. Hey guys, it's producer Pat Boyle, and week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week four game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. These are especially exciting on football Sundays. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PRESSPASS to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PRESSPASS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. This is Hockey Press Pass presented by Instat Hockey. We're back with Craig Button of TSN and the NHL Network. Craig, the, the GM job is a bear. Uh, everybody complains about the hours. August is maybe the only month in normal times uh, where maybe there's a little time to yourselves. But there's also a reason why everybody loves these jobs, why there's so few of them and why they are prized. Same thing for pers- player personnel jobs. So I guess the easy question here is, um, does the broadcast job fulfill you? I know you love it, uh, but is there are there parts about it that you miss and you'd be tempted to go back for the right opportunity? Yes, yes. Uh, I, will, I will definitely say yes. And because when, when you're, there, there's two parts to it. Number one, when you're part of a team and, and, and ultimately you're trying to win, you know, th- th- there's an excitement. That, you, you know, I talk about like, you know, you're believing in people and you're trying to help people develop and you're you're trying to help them coalesce uh, around a common goal. Like, really, that, th- there's nothing more exciting. And, you know, the broadcast, you're right, I do love doing it. But at the end of the night, you know what? There's no winning and losing. Rob Blake told me this, the general manager of the LA Kings, when he was working in the NHL front of uh, the hockey operations, and he went to work for the LA Kings. He goes, Craig, I don't have the feeling of when at the end of the night, the, the exhilaration of winning or the disappointment of losing. He goes, I need to be back in that environment. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think as a, as a, 
it's competition. It, it's it, it's a game. It's fun. It's entertaining, but it's competition, and so you miss that part of it. The other the other part of it too is is that when you're trying to build something, and then whatever you're trying to do when you're trying to build, that, that that's what being a championship team is about. You're building, and you're trying to take you know the good parts of, of, of things. You're trying to improve upon them, and. Yeah, you're trying to always work on mastering your craft and, and broadcast, but those are the two things, especially when you have these vibrant young players that are so determined to be not only individually good, but they want to compete for the greatest prize. And, you know, so that, those are things you don't have a broadcast, and those are things that, that, that I really do miss. And for those reasons, absolutely, you know, you go back, but... You know, and people say right opportunity, and people go, what's the right opportunity? Bob Gady reminded me of this years ago. He said, there's no perfect situation. Every, every situation has its has its uh, uh, positives, and every situation has its negatives. And, and how you want to look at that is, is the way that you're going to have to build. Because if you're looking at the negatives, you're never going to be able to build on the positives. And yeah. so... You know, I think that, uh, you know, it, it comes down to people and, and, and where that opportunity is. But also, you know, do you get to do the things that you that really excite you? And, you know, you know, I think that's important for anybody in any line of work. And, and you're blessed in that in your current role, you kind of get to be a, a manager of all teams and you get to look at all the players, not have to think about where you would pick them, but that's uh, good. Help me out here, uh, Craig. I've always had a personal fascination with the pro scouts, not the amateur scouts, but the, you know, Kenny Morrow's director of pro scouting forever at the Islanders. And, and at the Coliseum, I would write out press passes and down all the way down that row by the organist. Yeah. We'd have, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 to 15 men, men or women representing different teams, especially once my Islanders were out of it around U.S. Thanksgiving and everybody <laughs> came to everybody came to pick on the parts. Um, what is their role? Because I know uh, fans, and certainly I would I would sit there and I'd be like, okay, we're what we're, the Islanders are playing the Penguins. You know, what are we looking at here? You know, we're, we're, what's the kind of report you would want back from your scouts when you were in that head chair? And maybe you were like, you know what, I might be able to get that guy on the Penguins, or I might be able to get that guy on the Islanders. Help me out here. Is he is he worth the price? So, so I'll give you I'll give you three parts to this. So, so the first part is, is that you know one of the things you have to be really cognizant of is when a player isn't performing up to his level. Just because a player isn't performing up to the to the level of talent or ability you think they have, doesn't mean they're not good players. And those are usually the players that are available. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, what have you ever heard about thirty or thirty-five goal scorers being available? Sure. Right? Like they're consistent, right? They just they're not available. So you know, being able to to really recognize, you know, the attributes, trying to understand. How, how your coaching staff or your organization can can get a player back to uh, to, to, to the level of ability uh, that the player has. I, I think that's a real critical part of pro scouting. And, you know, you have to know what your team is looking for. It's not, I mean, we go to games and you look at the end of the night, yeah, you know who the good players are, which brings me to point number two. And I remember Bob Gady, again, I'm back to Bob Gady, but we, we used to do playoffs, Tony, which is pro scouting. I mean, it was trying for, and he used to tell us, 
don't send us back reports telling us how great Joe Stackett is. We know how good Joe Sackett is. Don't tell us how great Peter Forsberg is. We know. And, you know, it was, it was really about trying to, you know, in, in that aspect of pro scouting, you're trying to, because there's, there's this, the game to game to game in the regular season where you're trying to, you know, give information to your coaching staff to prepare your team and then come playoff time, what you're trying to do is, is trying to find a way to get the upper hand on your opponent. So you're looking for little things that might throw a player off in that regard that gives your team a little bit of an event, which goes to the third thing. You know, players that are in the prime of their career, they're, they're just not available. <laughs> like, yeah, I know Joe Thornton got traded. I mean, like we know there's the odd one that gets traded. But I, I think there becomes a, a player trying to that's, tra- that's trajecting a little bit higher. And then you know where a player's at. But you better start to know when that player starting to decline. Because, you know, you know the, the common refrain is that the, your own team knows when a player might be falling off. If you're looking to trade for a player, you better be really cognizant of where that player is. Because that may force you, whether it be a free agent signing or a trade, to, to overpay. Whether it be in a player transaction or a dollar transaction, so you got to be. Those are the those are the three areas of pro scouting that I think are really really important. And and, and I, I would add one little caveat: young players coming into the league, you got to listen to the amateur scouts and understand, you know, why those players, you know, have have a, a real significant pedigree, why they have a high rating, because. It's hard to play in the NHL. We see players, you know, make their way uh, sometimes sooner than other players. But you know, you got to listen to the, you know, to the lineage, so to speak, mm-hmm. as they get into business. Because I've seen that happen too. Oh, he'll never play. Oh, well, I'd be careful with that. He was the third overall pick. Like, <laughs> gotcha. Speaking of amateur scouting, I'm not, I'm not supposing, presupposing that this happens, but. Hypothetically, a GM friend of yours or a head scout with an NHL team. This is I'm talking about Craig Button of TSN NHL Network, but you have friends all over the league, and one of them calls you and says, "Hey, you're you're off this weekend. You're back home. I really need another opinion. Can you please go see this kid who's up for the draft this year? One game." You got one game, and I know this might. You, maybe you're saying this is a, an, an, a, a situation that would never happen. But what what are you what are you looking for when you go to that game of a draft eligible kid? Let's say in Canadian junior hockey. Well, I, I, I think the number one thing is Chris is, is that you have to look at the attributes and the skills that translate. The NHL. To me, I mean, we're not. I'm not even talk about skating. Yeah, yes, like you have to be a good skater, but the ability to uh, do things really quickly, process the game really fast, and be able to execute really fast in small spaces. That when I'm watching, like we can see a player zipping through the neutral zone, and you know, go, uh, you know, kind of, you know, be impressed by the speed. But the game is rarely played. In, in, in those spots so when i'm watching players and i don't care if it's junior college europe high school prep school whatever it may be those things certain qualities translate and if you can't do things quickly 
and you're going to try to move to the NHL where the game is like, you know, like not, not only physically, but mentally fast. I don't care how good you are. If you can't do that at, at, at whatever level you're at below the NHL, you're not going to do it at the NHL level. I can guarantee you that. So you're looking, it'd be like, you know, computer, you know, if you get a slow computer, you know, it might have all the great video and everything, but if it processes slowly, a computer is not going to give you a lot of satisfaction. I think it's the same thing with uh, with a player you're watching for the draft. You've got to process it. I understand. The, uh, the next draft will be 2022, which will be the 20th anniversary of the 2002 draft. I have no idea how that happened, um, <laughs> how, how time went by so quick. Would you mind if we, I just wanted to go back to that draft for a little sure. I, I was at the Islanders table in my very minor role of making sure I grabbed the right jersey for, you know, and taking them around. And um, so I looked back on the draft and and there wasn't, with all due respect to all the players taken, um, that, you know, Duncan Keith maybe is the one that got away late second. You know, between 10 and when you drafted, uh, if we, the Islanders drafted you, I believe you were at 10 with the Flames, there's not a lot there. Alex Semin, but I don't know if Alex Semin becomes a flame, right? Or if that works out for him. Uh, 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 Steen uh, became, becomes a yeah. nice player. But my quick story. We're at, I'm at the draft table. Charles Wong, beloved, uh, uh, past uh, the late, great Charles Wong, comes up to me and says, Chris, I got a PR problem for you. This is right before the draft. I said, what's the matter, Charles? He goes, Eric Nystrom is going to be available when we pick, and we are probably not going to take him. Now, the backstory to the fans are Bobby Nystrom's uh, Eric's father. Bobby Nystrom is missed rounder, got the goal in 1980. And Charles is concerned that Eric might fall into our laps and then we are not going to take him. We're going to take some other kid. And I said to Charles, based on my great knowledge from reading Bob McKenzie, the hockey news and everything else, I was like, Charles, don't worry about it. He's going to be taken before we go. In fact, I think he's going to be taken way before we go. Charles says, I'll bet you $100. Now, I think Charles is betting me because he, he's hoping, Eric, he's not faced with this. I said, I'm not worried about this problem, but I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared as a PR guy, but I'll bet you $100. Thank you. I won $100. Calgary took him. Eric had a, a really nice career. He could play on my team any day. Um, but what, you know, when you look back on that draft and you see what was there, it was not a deep draft so as a gm with that table of your scouts you know what do you remember about back then and what is that approach and did you know it would be turn out to be a thin draft yeah, uh, I, you know i know i just hit, i just hit you with a lot of things there sorry no no but that's all good uh you know it, it's always interesting to me when you when you go into drafts and you're, oh it's not a good draft Okay, <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, How do you know? You, like it just it just seems to be a narrative that like somehow gets played out year after year after year. So I don't think you ever go into any draft thinking it's not a good draft, you know, but you go into a draft and I think there's two things. You, you're trying to identify NHL talent. You're trying to identify, obviously, the higher you pick, you, you, you want to get even more of a, of a high level of talent. But, but I also believe, Chris, that you have to get players that you want that you think fit your organization. Like, not every, like, I can take you through 32 teams in National Hockey League, and you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. 
all the lists are different. <laughs> there's not there's not, there's not even two exact lists, and there's not two exact lists in the top ten. So let's just as we move through a draft, right? And everybody's excited about their draft picks, and that's how they should be. So what I would tell you about Eric is there was a lot of excitement for Eric. Eric was a was a real strong skater. He was competitive. He was physical. He was a smart player. His skill level might not have. Well, wasn't all that high where you would talk about a, a top two line player, but, but he had a lot of attributes that, uh, you know, we as an organization coveted. And, you know, I, I think most importantly, and, and this is what really excited the scouts, is they said he had a great understanding and a great knowledge of what his game was. He didn't have, an, he didn't have these illusions about being something that he wasn't. And so you're, you're trying to, you're trying to look and you're trying to evaluate, you know, who can fit. Drafts rarely are built on one player. Yeah, we know about McDavid, and we know about Merlemieux, and but they're they're far and few between when you're building a team on on one player. So you're trying to get players at different points of the draft and in different drafts that can fit what you're trying to do with with, with your other group of players. And our, our feeling was that, that that Eric was just a really nice fit. Now. Because I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan for 12 years, and he was playing at the University of Michigan, I, I kind of put my little, uh, you know, go blue stamp on it. <laughs> I can understand. Um, I have to ask you, I mean, you know, I, I, my history is in the NHLs with the Islanders. Lou Lamorello, after his time in Toronto, where he did uh, well, but then he's come here and he's just, you know, reshaped the culture hired the best coach that you could possibly find and that's made a difference but in a lot of cases with uh, the same core of players that he inherited from Garth Snow who deserves a lot of credit including Adam Pellick who I would add to my underrated list and signed a yes. pretty team friendly contract although Adam's going to do well as well for a long time um, can you shed any light you know we hear these things about culture and, and rules and standards and different things that Lou demands but maybe as somebody who uh, was a GM when he was a GM as an analyst as a scout who knows the people he's worked with uh, knows uh, Conti can you shed some light uh, some maybe some different light on what it is that Lou Lamorello does so well well there's lots of things he does exceptionally well I mean he's a Hall of Famer as you just pointed out look what he's done since he's uh you know, come in to lead the New York Islanders. You, you know, and, and just quickly to talk about this group of the, the, that's with the Islanders. I, 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 a lot of people want to come in when they're new and change things. Lou, Lou has a real good uh, feel uh, for what he wants to do. And, and, and then he evaluates. He, he takes the time to evaluate. You know, he's going to spend time one-on-one -on -one with players. He's going to he's going to watch and observe who can fit. And, and and he also has a belief in young people. And when I say young, I'm not talking about just twenty-year-olds or twenty-six. Like you take Adam Pellick, you take Ryan Pulak. To me, just a tremendous. <laughs> duo, a, a, a defense pair that's, to me, one of the best defense pairs in the National Hockey League. So here we have a, a third-round draft pick in Pellick, a first-round pick in Pulak. And Lou comes in, and he, how are we going to work with them? What, 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 do, what do we see in them? And then, and then he gives players an opportunity and, and the people to grow. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't put them in a dark room and say, hey, listen, let, let's see how you do. He, he gives them every opportunity to blossom. 
And I think that goes back to Lou having spent so many years at Providence College. You have freshmen coming in every year, right? And, and your upperclassmen, and you're, you're working with them, and you're helping develop them. And I, I really believe that Lou has that, you know, that that understanding of young people. And and again, I don't want to just say eighteen year olds. I mean, he he, he gives lots of credence. Look at Kyle Palmer, just as an example. And he comes in, and he he makes a trade for him. He gets him into the lineup. And he didn't really perform at the level that, you know, we'd seen Kyle perform at goal scoring wise. Playoffs begin, right? And Kyle was terrific. And Lou has this belief in people. And if you wanna if you wanna be part of a team and you wanna maximize your abilities and be the best you can be, you're gonna have lots of opportunity with Lou Laverone. And he gives that opportunity. So so that's one aspect of it he's got the courage of his convictions. I, I, I'm going to give you a, one day I was in Dallas and, and the New Jersey devils came in to practice uh, in our practice room. And we were upstairs and, and Lou came up and we're sitting around and somebody asked Lou, like all the players came in in a, in a shirt tie jacket. Somebody said, how do you get them to do that? He goes, I don't get them to do anything. I just, impress upon them that you're representing uh, the New Jersey Devils and you're representing yourselves and you're representing your families and people that have supported you all along the way and this is really important to me and he said you know it's not about putting rules in for the sake of putting rules in. it's telling them why we do this and why it's important and why he values it and he said you know everybody values it when you explain to them you know you know why this is important and why we want to do it he said it's not a hard sell <laughs> and i and i think that i think that and, and because lou is is you know to me you know he's not worried about you know optics or what anybody else thinks he know he he's got a track record that's exceptional and he knows how he's going to proceed and i think everybody knows everybody knows hey this is but you ask players, and Chris, you've been around, and, and I know you know this. There's lots of players that will tell you that during some tough times, Lou was exceptionally supportive of players and, 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 of, and of groups. and that, that He doesn't waver in that. If he believes in you and you've shown you're, you're worthy of that belief, you're going to get it from Lou. So what did I just talk about? So we used, we used the word culture, mm-hmm. values, courage of your convictions believing in people, helping people grow and develop. <laughs> isn't, isn't that some of the significant areas of culture? Yeah, no, it's a great point. Two big takeaways there. It's that he doesn't just set the rules or let's, let's call them rules for lack of a better word, but he explains why. So I love that because uh, I think some people just think maybe he just puts them on the wall and everybody's got to follow him. Uh, yeah. and, and then secondly, you know, this is an ego business to a certain extent, and it would have been so easy for him. When he took over the team, they were last and, you know, they gave up 294 goals. It would have been so easy for him to just say, I got to put in my own players, my own stamp. And he actually held on to the majority of the players that, that uh, were acquired under Garth Snow's regime. So um, great, great insights. I have one last one for you. Um, the ownership on the island is, has been strong with that change. And... Uh, so I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and their hockey ops guys. I'm talking to hockey ops guy. We want to give them all the credit. I right? want to give the GM and the scouts, everybody credit. But the importance of ownership, just because you have a great owner doesn't mean you have a great team. 
but it really is important. And I got to know Jeff Vinnick just a little bit, interviewing him, Sports Business Journal. Like, and, and, and probably, is, you know, you don't hear his name come up a lot with these two Stanley Cups, but I have to believe that's so, that's such a big part of what's gone on in Tampa. And it is the reason why, te- a big reason why teams at least get in position to win a Stanley Cup. Would you agree? 100%. And I think you just used a really good, strong phrase. Get in position to compete for a Stanley Cup. Every year, there's six, seven teams that are in position to compete for the Stanley Cup, legitimately compete. We know that, you know, there, there, there might be a team or two that, you know, at the beginning didn't look like a contender, and there might be one or two that fall out of that group. But every to me, everything starts at the top. You know, we go back, how much did you hear about Dr. McMullen with the New Jersey Devils, right? Yeah. Uh, all he did was was supported and everything, right? And and I think that, like, you know, the GM's job is not, it's not about autonomy because there's no such thing as an autonomous GM. I can guarantee you that Lou Lamarillo keeps his ownership abreast of every single thing that's happening at any time and, and that builds confidence and and the communication throughout the organization especially you know owners don't want to be surprised they don't want to they want to they, they need to know because if, if you're going to ask your owner to be supportive in what you're doing then they need to know that, that they've been very successful in, in in other areas of their lives their business lives so why don't you want to tap in to, to that expertise and everything. And I, I, I see it often where in, in different industries, Chris, where, you know, they don't realize that they're like they're and, and it's not, I don't think it's negligence. I, I just think it's an unawareness of, you know, the people that are investing capital have a lot of intellectual capital, not just financial capital. And I think that you're wise to tap into that. And I think that whether you're Lou Lavarillo or you're Steve Eiserman, or uh, you, you, you—that's what you have to do to, to have success. And you know, and obviously, ownership can't be knee-jerk. You know, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning lost four straight to the Columbus Blue Jackets <laughs> after after a record-setting year in 2019. And you know, Steve Eiserman and uh, Julia Breesbaugh, they had the, they had some explaining to do, right? Yeah. As, as Lucille Ball would say. <laughs> So, you know, uh, but, you know, you try to understand, okay, what do we got to do where we're at? And, you know, you got to, you got to be very clear in terms of that communication and, 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 you know, it's collaborative. And I think that the best organizations are collaborative and they work well together, but, you know, there's different ways that that can take shape. And certainly when you have strong people, I mentioned Steve Eisman, Julian Breesbaugh, Lou Lamarola, when you have people like that in place, I think it becomes uh, something that's a real luxury for owners to be able to tap into as well. Well, you're not uh, passionate to a fault. There's no such thing. I love your passion. Uh, Appreciate the insights and really just your kindness and generosity in being part of season one of the Press Pass podcast. This is everything we could have asked for. Thank you so much, Craig. Chris, it's always my pleasure. Thanks, uh, you know what? You have, uh, you have a, you've had a long, successful career, and you've been exceptionally good at it. So, when you ask me, that these are these aren't even ones where I even take a half a second to think about it. It's my pleasure to join you, and that's an always thing. That's not just a one-time thing. Very nice of you to say. Thank you, Craig.
All right, producer Pat Boyle here with Chris, and tremendous interview from Craig Button. We thank him once again, and and now here to to finish this episode, Chris. News of the New York Islanders signing Zidane Chara to a, his fourth straight one-year deal. Uh, we heard from listeners requesting a segment almost immediately on, on our reaction to it and your thoughts on Big Z. So, so Chris, what did you think when you first heard the news of Chara to the Islanders? Honestly, I just had a, a really big smile. Uh, Chara is a, is a terrific guy. He is an outstanding player. And to come back to be part of the team that drafted him and mistakenly let him go, although there were reasons for it at the time to acquire Alexi Yashin, it's just great. I don't. Who knows if this is even going to be his last season, but it's going to be unbelievable to see him back in an Islander uniform. Uh, he's a friend uh, personally. I am a fan uh, in the biggest way. And to me, you know, you don't sign Zdeno Chara to be a depth guy it's going to be really interesting to see how coach Barry Trotz utilizes him yeah you know absolutely I I think he gives this defense another added level of physicality at times that they lacked last year going up against some of the more tougher teams in the league and uh, you know a guy that's obviously right outside the top 10 in career games played in the league and I literally been around for 25 years so I mean and we see he's still got the uh, he's still got the juice on that slap shot so um, you know I think it's a, a tremendous addition and, um, you know, the thing about him is, we said he's been in the league for 25 years. He may be 44, but his conditioning is legendary. It, it really is. And, and you could be assured that this is not somebody who, who's got anything and will give anything less than his best. Uh, a story that I might have told a long time ago uh, back in the Islanders Point Blank blog days uh, goes back to, the I think, the second training camp that Chara was in. We were in Lake Placid, and the players, after doing a couple of hours on the ice, then had their off-ice workouts, and Garrett Timms, who was the Islanders' athletic trainer at the time, called me, oh, Bots, come on over here. And he put me on the bike, and he said, Zidane Chara just did this for 30 minutes straight at some high number, whatever you use for, for the bikes back there. Get on it and give it a, a whirl. Now, I'm 35-ish at the time. Decent shape. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I could barely move the pedals. And, yeah. and this is not an exaggeration. Tim's uh, tweet at me if you're around uh, up there. I think you're in Buffalo. Timsy, uh, verify this. And I was not alone. Like, it was, that was when I realized, like, when you're talking about Zidane Chara. You're talking about like superhero caliber fitness. His yep. father uh, was an Olympic wrestler. Uh, this is a guy who works at everything that he does. So he's not going to give any, the Islanders anything but his best at all times. Yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, some of the reasons why he's one of the most respected players of the last quarter century and, you know, multiple time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, that kind of experience is, it's, it's, it's hard to match. When you get a guy who can still play at a great level at 44 years old with all the, the all the leadership qualities he possesses, all the experience, something that the Islanders now, they've been knocking on the doorstep for the last couple of years, unable to break through. You know, we'll see if um, his leadership can help them become a contender and take them, hopefully, now to the next step. And he's a leader in both ways. He can be vocal. He will pick his spots. 
uh, but he is also a leader by example. And he is the same person today that he was as a rookie. One more little anecdote that I could bring you from personal experience to give you an idea of the class of the gentleman that Chara is. I was coming back after practice into the Islanders' offices at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, and in the reception area, I see him uh, sitting at a desk, and he's folding pieces of paper, and he's stuffing them into envelopes. Back in the day, where that was more of a regular thing. And I just assumed maybe he was doing like some personal business, but then he did a bunch. And I walked over, and I was like, hey, what's going on? And he was sitting with some other staffers across the table from the team staff was sending out like something like season ticket invoices or yeah. some sort of mass mailing again back in the day when you did those sort of things. And he came back from practice, saw my colleagues doing this, pulled up a chair and did it himself. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did that, you know, when he went to Ottawa and when he went to Boston, too. This is the caliber of, of gentleman that he is. So, you know, I don't know how it'll turn out for the Islanders this, uh, this season. I don't know if he's one of the guys who'll put them over the top. But one thing I, I can, you can bank on, and this might sound strange to people who aren't Islander fans, but even though Chara was an Islander for just three seasons or so and was traded a long time ago, he left such an impact with the people who follow the team closely. When they have their home opener at the new arena, when he's introduced, of course it'll be loud for Barzal and Lee and other players, but the ovation for Chara, I think, is going to, like, rock that building. I think it's going to be a goosebump moment. I know it'll seem strange to others that we're welcoming right, welcoming back somebody who won a championship, but that's the kind of well-respected player he is. I can't wait to see that moment when he's introduced to the crowd. Yeah, he's he's one of the all-time greats. You know, he's one of the first players you learn about when you're young growing up, especially me, you know, in playing NHL 05, like the video games when I was 11, 12 years old and I wanted to play with you know, whatever when I wanted to play with, I don't want to play with Boston when he was on the team just because I wanted to play with Chara, just the imposing height. And, you know, you mentioned it, the, the dedication and the pride he takes to his craft after having been in the league at 25 years is is remarkable. Um, and it's another reason why he wants to compete, you know, with the with the Slovakia national team at the Olympics in 2022. So I think you're right. Um, and he definitely doesn't forget how passionate Islander fans are because he posted on Instagram it's been a while. I have to dust off my Islander jersey, but can't wait to be back. So I, I think you're right. I think that reception is going to be phenomenal. He's, I just realized he's been in the league about as long as you've been on the planet. Correct. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a six. I have a 23-year-old son. I had to think about it. Uh, and he signed a stick for him, and I still have. It's a, a cherished uh, thing, and it means even more now that he's back. Yep. So that will do it for this episode of Hockey Press Pass. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider rating us and subscribing at Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Email us at presspasspodcast at gmail.com with questions for the show, requests for guests, and opinions. And check out our really fancy website, hockeypresspass.com. For everyone subscribing to the website, Chris and the staff have plans for occasional communications for subscribers only. Again, a big thanks to Craig Button, to our sponsors, Instat Hockey and DraftKings, and everyone who has supported the podcast so far. The response from you guys, the listeners, has been amazing, and we're very appreciative. We'll see you soon with the next episode of Press Pass. Press Pass.